Welcome to the Grace Story Podcast, where inspiring stories are brought to life. This podcast is made possible by Grace College and Seminary, located on the shores of Winona Lake in the great state of Indiana. I'm your host, Dr. Drew Flam. This is the Grace Story Podcast. Today, our guest is Tim Clothier, senior pastor of Borough Grace Church in Waynesboro, Pennsylvania. Tim studied youth ministry at Grace College and also attended Grace Seminary for his Master of Arts. Tim recently published his book, To Each is Given, Spiritual Gifts in the Life of the Church through BMH Books. And we'll dive into that book more in this podcast. Along with being a pastor and an author, Tim is married to Carrie, also a Grace grad, and has four young children. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Drew. Well, first uh, question Pastor, author, husband, four little kids. Yeah. Do you sleep? Um, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes. It depends on uh, if, if they're all behaving and what decisions that are needed to be made at the church at the, at the time. So when it comes to being an author, first-time author, yeah. correct? Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, how did you—I uh, always just find this kind of interesting. Like, how did you— discipline yourself or set up your writing schedule to ensure you fit this in between sure kids bedtimes and pastoring and sermon prep and counseling and all the things that go along with pastoring right fathering etc yeah um it actually started out of what i needed to do at the church and um so i had been feeling prompted by the Lord to preach through the book of 1 Corinthians. And the way we do it in our church is we just walk through books of the Bible, and I knew chapters 12 to 14 were coming, and it would be very conspicuous if I skipped them. (laughs) And those typically have been pretty hotly debated chapters. And so about two years out, I sat down with my elder team and I said, I feel like the Lord's leading me to think about this and us. And what I want to do is I want to write down what I would say about these gifts, about the big picture, and then talk through it with you guys. And from that, we then get to decide if there is enough agreement to go forward or if there's not agreement, then I'm going to take that as as an indication from the Lord that this is not the direction he wants us to go right now. Um, and so the first written form of this got churned out and that was kind of essentially part one of the book and we discussed it. They gave me the green light to move forward with it. And then the rest of the project just came out of sermon prep. And so I was working ahead, but then as I was getting stuff done, it was all in line for and in preparation for when we were going to work through this as a church together. Um, So that was the calendar year of 2019 that we walked through 1 Corinthians together. So it was last fall. uh, We hit specifically chapters 12, 13, and 14. So it was a little bit more manageable in that regard. Um, I didn't, I I tried to not take it home. I did some editing at home, but tried to leave a lot of the heavy writing um, to when I was either in my office as a part of sermon prep time. Um, or for I had been traveling for one reason or another, I'd, I'd take it with me then and work on it a little bit more. That's awesome. I, I, uh, I've often heard of pastors, you know, like sermon prepping and turning it into a book, but you, you sort of like um, 
did the precursor, get it all ready, then sermon prep, have the book ready, and then preach it. Yeah. You know, like you yeah. preached the book, essentially, yeah. which is a neat way of doing it. Um, tell, tell me one or two things you learned about the authoring process that maybe going into it you weren't familiar with that now you're like, wow, that's in- I didn't realize that. Yeah. This about authoring a book. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of details and, um, I'm, I've consistently just thought of myself as a guy gets you like 95% of the way there. Um, and so like my editor and the publisher and those parts to the puzzle helped get all of this across the finish line. Um, and so all of the copy editing and the mistakes and all of those things, you know, I, I thought I had a decent product and then we realized it wasn't nearly as decent as it should have been. And so <laughs> thankfully there were people that were able to take a rough product, fine tune it and, and then get it to print. Um, so those people were tremendous in the process. Uh, BMH books was tremendous. Um, the editor I was working with, her name was Judy um, she was subcontracted through BMH, and she was she was just a gift as well as we kept exchanging Word documents back and forth with changes and and all of that. And um, so that part was really is really eye opening and fun um, in a really nerdy way because you knew you were working towards a goal and you knew that each step along the way you were getting a little closer. Um, and so then. Uh, to figure out as well just how how to say best what needs to be said or what you at least believe needs to be said. So I learned some things about myself as well through the process in, in how like stylistically I had to make some changes along the way um, to, to like make thoughts a little bit more concise and understandable. Um, so I think it's actually helped me be a better communicator in the process because I'd I don't get that type of feedback on a Sunday morning. Um, I'm usually getting the, hey, good job, or the email on Monday. And um, this was somebody professionally critiquing how I was communicating in, in print. And I think, it's, I think it's actually helped me be a better communicator through mm. the process as well. That's awesome. That's cool things that you've learned. And uh, so is this the uh, is this the first of hopefully many books? Or are you like, hey, this was the, I'm one and done. Um, I don't think I'm one and done. I've got I've got a series of emails right now that I've been sending to a church planner on leadership that that could be something. Um, they're not anything right now. They could be something. Um, it just depends on if some publisher somewhere thinks well. they could be something. As well. <laughs> I guess that kind of <laughs> matters, know? doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so who knows? Um, the the pandemic kind of threw all of that. Sure. Um, by the wayside and um, but just trying to think through um, some of the more practical aspects of leadership in a church um, you know one of the one of the questions that would always be asked soon after I got out of seminary was like what 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 didn't we teach you um, or somebody else what didn't they teach you um, and and some of it was like the how to lead a board meeting type stuff and and so as I've been in that world now, I've, I've tried to be mindful of writing down how to do that. And so there's a, a young church planner a couple hours from us in our fellowship that I've wanted to 
give that information to ahead of the game. He was in youth ministry, transitioning to a solo senior pastor. I've walked that road. And, and so I just started sending him in a, a weekly email about things I've learned, things I, I did that I shouldn't have done, things that I didn't do that I should have, um, things that right now I don't plan to do differently. And um, so there could be something there. Uh, cool. But it depends on if somebody else agrees. <laughs> well, let's back up. Uh, I want to get into the details of the yeah, book. But yeah. Let's get a little bit of the the story of of Tim uh, first. Tell me kind of where you grew up, and then what got you to Grace College studying youth ministry. Yeah, uh, I grew up in Michigan until seventh grade. In 1997, my family and I moved just north of Fort Wayne. And um, growing up as a pastor's kid, I always wanted to be a pastor. And a lot of that early on was I just wanted to be like my dad. Um, he's my hero. I wanted to be like him. And had a, had a challenging middle school and high school uh, season of life. And my heart just began to, to stray from the Lord. And it began... It was easier to not be passionate about the things of the Lord than it was to be. And so now I'm, I'm in a, a, a season of life where school counselors want you to pick career destinations because now your classes that you take are going to steer you towards that goal. And medicine became the, the, the option on the table. And it was a pretty easy sell to my folks. School liked it. They're going to champion anything that you tell them, I want to make lots of money and help people. And they're like, yeah, do that. And so that was the direction I was going. College applications to Cornerstone and Huntington. And I was a camp counselor right in right before my senior year of high school and was on the um, walk into our main building with one of my campers. And he trusted in Christ as we were walking to our main session that night. And it was like this Jonah moment in my life where I, I had known all along, like I'm, I'm running. And, and in that moment, it was like, okay, I'm not, I'm not running anymore. Um, so I came home, told my mom and dad, I was all excited. I, I got this call on my life all this stuff. They spent six months trying to convince me otherwise. And it was wild. And I had no idea what was going on. I was like, what, how are you guys not encouraging this? And around Christmas time, they sat me down and they said, okay, we've specifically been trying to discourage you because we know how hard this can be. And we've, we've had some hard days. We've had some good days. We've had some hard days. And we also wanted to make sure this wasn't just a, hey, I had a great summer at camp moment. Um, we wanted to try to discern and help you discern. And um, so for theological reasons, one of the schools on my list got taken off quickly. And then I was left wondering where else I would look and wanted to have a couple options. And um, so at that point in time, my dad was enrolled in the doctorate program at Grace. He was going to begin in 2002 his doctorate program. And he said, you got to check out Grace. And so we did. Came on campus, hated every minute of it. And thought the buildings are too old. Well, I edited out the, that part, but you know, no, whatever. just kidding, just kidding. Uh, it was like, it, it was, 
it was before like McLean got painted. And so it was just dark paneling. And it's like, I can't envision spending four years of my life here. And my parents thought that was a bogus reason. And so Grace stayed on the list, began the process of scholarships and different things and found that, um, there was scholarship money available here and there was more here than the other school I was considering. And um, so really for financial reasons, Grace became the choice. Um, wouldn't even say it was the number one choice at that point. Um, but then but then I got here and, and then things just became quickly different. Mm. <laughs> the dark paneling and McLean got painted and <laughs> it wasn't a big deal. And, um, sat down with professors and, you know, it just all of that and um, met my wife about a month into our freshman year and began dating a few months after that. And um, and then it was just home and can't imagine of ever going anywhere else, quite mm. frankly. Um, so, yeah, we were we were together four years through, um, got married halfway through our senior year, lived in Lamppost. Just drove by there as we were coming in. We were pointing to the kids like, that was our first apartment. And they're like, really? Yeah. yeah. And we're like, really? I can't believe we did that. And um, so we lived there as a married couple um, from senior year into seminary. It turned into a girl's dorm. So that was wild. Fire drills, tornado drills, the whole bit. Um, we were right there with them. And... Um, and so then graduated with the master's degree in, in 2008 and walked in nine, uh, which was the year that our oldest daughter was born. Mm. And you stayed in town after yeah. that, right? Yeah. It was, you, you were youth ministry undergrad. So that, yep. that was the, the direction you were headed. And that's what yeah. you stayed in town for. Yep. Yep. Yeah, we were attending Community Grace Brethren Church and began there our sophomore year. Um, I didn't grow up Grace Brethren. My wife did. Her, her dad was a pastor in a Grace Brethren Church for her entire life. So Grace was the only option for her. There weren't and any other schools. There wasn't. Well, yeah. um, and she got the OB scholarship, and she was recruited to play soccer. And so it just made a lot of sense. Um, and that was where you went growing up in a Grace Brethren Church. And so as we met, now there's this whole new culture that I've had no exposure to ever. Our sophomore year, we began trying to find a church to go to together and landed at Community Grace. And I got involved in the music program pretty quickly and then became the leader of the music program. So altogether, as just attenders, including our staff years, we were there 10, 11 years. Mm. And as I graduated undergrad into the master's program, a position opened up for youth ministry. So then I got paid to do what I was already largely doing and um, so we were there seven years full-time on staff and um, and then in 2014 um, moved from Warsaw to Waynesboro and you have been at Waynesboro as the as the senior pastor solo pastor yeah um, since 2014 yep it'll be six years middle of August gotcha awesome yeah and you are, uh, I, I get to see you every once in a while at various Grace Brethren <laughs> right. affiliated yep. things. You're sort of, you've got your tentacles in all of it, fellowship council and boards and all that good stuff. And so appreciate the way that you've um, been impacted at Grace and then turned around and now are making an impact yeah. um, on 
many of our current and future students and on our fellowship as a whole. So thank you for that. Yeah, yeah it's been fun. Well, let's dive into the book a cool. little bit. Um, so, you know, again, in the in the craziness of 2020, you somehow published a book. Yeah. Um, so you, you talked about the motivation being, you know, the uh, sermon series and wanting to ensure that you properly equipped the saints in yeah. your church. Yeah. Um, d- tell us about sort of the general tenor of the book and what about it might be slightly different okay. than um, another book you might pick up on related to spiritual gifts. Sure, sure. Yeah, the, the, the book breaks down into kind of two parts. Um, part one is a bit of a warning part. Um, I, there's some trends in the evangelical church that concern me in this area. And there's some really popular organizations and ministries that have some concerning beliefs and practices in regards to spiritual gifts, um, and specifically what they would call signs and wonders. Um, and so I, I know people personally that have found themselves at those places, and I know people personally that are very influenced by those ministries, and, and I think there's some really concerning things there. And the, the initial, very beginning seeds of this entire project began when um, someone at our Church of Community Grace who had been living in our house, she was on our youth staff, she was a Grace College grad, OB alumni, the whole deal, found herself at a particular place where um, there was a lot of concerning things theologically surrounding gifts and signs and wonders um, so that threw me into what felt like a two and a half year rabbit hole where I just could not make sense of this, but had this unquenchable thirst to learn more and dig and study. And then it was about two and a half years out of that where I felt like some clarity began to emerge. And um, so part one walks through a little bit of that. The clarity I felt like I found, and it was it was different than honestly what I had been taught here at Grace by professors who largely would have landed at, in a cessationist camp where you know some of the gifts have ceased. Um, we were taught, and um, you know so you have the list in First Corinthians twelve, and um, not all of the list is still for today because we've, we've had some of them that aren't needed anymore. And that, that was, became a, a pretty unsatisfying position for me in the course of the study. It, it, it provided a good answer to the people that might be running off the rails into like a crazy charismatic direction. Um, cessationists gave a good answer, but it didn't provide a satisfying answer um, to anybody looking to say, okay, well, what, what about this kind of middle ground? Like, it kind of, we know where the extremes are painted. Well, what about what's in the middle here? Um, so that's where one of the uniquenesses of the book comes out. Um, I think in large regard, there has been a um, compressing of terms, biblically speaking, those terms being signs and wonders and spiritual gifts. And so the cessationist camp would say there's sign gifts and there's edifying gifts. Um, 
the hyper charismatic side would say um, spiritual gifts and signs and wonders are the same and they're all for today just go go chase them go go do all of it um, and I think that creates some difficulty what I try to do is try to outline where that might not actually be supported in the text um, so that's one of the, the really unique places in the book um, I haven't found a single resource that has ever made that distinction. Um, and, and so what happens when you separate signs and wonders from spiritual gifts is that you're able to evaluate signs and wonders and those who performed them in the scriptures as separate, but you're able to, in some ways, restrict the signs and wonders camp to whom the scriptures restrict it to, and now your spiritual gifts are just left for the church. They serve different purposes. They have different functions. They have different definitions. And now when you get to passages like 1 Corinthians 12, where a list of gifts is made and tongues shows up and healings shows up and miracles shows up, um, we don't have to sandwich them together. We can go, okay, these are for the church. They were written to a local church. They are written by a church planner. There's no indication in the text itself that Corinth should have separated the list into what should last and what shouldn't last. So what do we do with that then? How do we define now the gifts that are listed here as for the church? And then what does the distinction with signs and wonders allow us to do? Um, Hebrews 2.4 it is a passage that I found tremendous help in. Um, it says that God also bore witness to the gospel through signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Spirit. And it, it appears the author of Hebrews is writing that there's, there's kind of three categories that are all very interrelated. They're all very closely associated together, but they also are distinct. And so I have three biological children. One's adopted. And my three biological children are all very closely related together. They share half of mom and half of dad, but they're all unique. They had the same source, but as their individual DNA codes have worked themselves out in the way God designed and intended, they are different people. They're not the same people. And I think similarly, it's helpful to see signs and wonders as distinct from various miracles as distinct from spiritual gifts and various miracles quite frankly is probably kind of this junk drawer category of we're not sure what to do with what just happened so just throw it in there um but i think signs and wonders is pretty restricted in the new testament and spiritual gifts has been given to the church and all members of the church all of those who have placed their faith and trust in jesus christ regardless of age regardless of whatever external marks of distinction would characterize them, have been gifted in some way, shape, or form to build up the body of Christ. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, so you're, you're, you're studying this and vetting out the differences um, between signs and wonders and spiritual gifts, and uh, you're having these conversations with your elders about it, and then, and then you're preaching through it and figuring out what it looks like in your local church. Yeah. So uh, what, what changed 
whether that be um, theologically or practically, um, in your church prior to your sermon series and after your sermon series? Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I think practically speaking, some of the things that changed um, or perhaps were more clarified for the people in, in our church were um, there's just going to be some resources that we don't use that we could. Um, there's some ministries that we're going to we're just going to say, hey, we're going to we're going to stay away from them. Uh, we may not sing their songs. We may not ever promote their books. We may not reference them um, because there's some distinctions that are concerning. And so in that in that sense, there's the guarding kind of warning function of eldering that um, I think is absolutely part of the role of an elder. Um, positively, what I would hope would have changed and what I think we're still trying to figure out is what does it look like for everyone in our local church to be giving and receiving? Because that's, that's the functional implication of everybody's been gifted. And I don't, the cessation of camp never would have said people aren't gifted, um, but what has happened in bringing this conversation back up is if everybody in your local church has been gifted, then everybody needs to be using their gift. And it means that not just a few people get to use their gifts because they think somehow they're a little bit more special or important than other people. So what does it look like for all of us to be giving and receiving? And you're going to find people prone to give and be unwilling to receive. Um, there's probably some, some, some pride and some arrogance there. Uh, you're going to find people prone to receive only and not ever give. And there's, there's going to be some apathy there on the, on the flip side. And so just as a church, what does that look like? Um, Dr. Plaster's wife called me six months ago. Maybe maybe nine at this point. The pandemic makes all of time feel terribly, terribly long. And her sister is a member of our church. Um, and Dr. Plaster's father-in-law used to pastor Waynesboro Grace Church. Did it for two different times. Um, and so there's still family in the area. And, and Jenny called. And she said, hey, my, my sister needs somebody to take her to Walmart she she lives in a home in our in our area, and she just needs somebody to pick her up, to love on her, to take her to Walmart, to let her buy the things that she needs to buy. And so we were in the middle of this sermon series, talking about gifts, talking about giving and receiving. And I stood up as like a point of application in that sermon and said, I just got this call yesterday. I'd love for one of you in the room right now by the time we're done this morning to say yes to taking Roberta to Walmart and just being her friend. And um, it was so neat because there, there was then ladies in our church that started like pointing at another lady in our church <laughs> who's, who's also kind of looking around. And, and she was thinking it and everybody else was thinking it because they knew that she was gifted in certain ways that that just fit her, and that was a way for her to use how God's gifted her, who God's created her to be, to give, 
And so then the next Sunday, I got to reference back to that and go, it happened. And how cool is that, that it happened? And um, so those have been some of the practical ways. And, you know, what does it look like for the 95-year-old to give? He doesn't have the energy, perhaps, physically that he once had. But what does it look like for him to give? What does it look like for the five-year-olds to give? Um, I mean, if we're going to say that the church has been gifted, then, all right, what, what do our youngest that have trusted in Jesus offering and how are we encouraging them to use their gifts how are we helping them figure out what they are how are we giving them space to love and lead and serve people and i think that's part of why paul uses this metaphor of a body in in chapter 12 as he continues to flesh this idea out because um, he says you know like some parts have different functions in the human body in the same way is true in the local church body or even the universal church body. And the eye doesn't get to say to the ear, I don't need you. You know, the hand doesn't get to say to the no, whatever the body parts are. You don't get to say that. Every part has a different function, but every part needs each other. And um, and there's actually guardrails put in in what Paul says beyond uh, in regards to not thinking of yourself more highly than you really are. Like, hey, I'm the hands. Look at me. Um, I don't really need anything else because I, I can do. Um, but then also not telling others that they're not needed because they're somehow less significant in your estimation. And so this body metaphor becomes critically important to understanding how this works itself out in a local church. So how do we give? How do we receive? Um, yeah, receiving takes a ton of humility, especially for those that maybe have been giving because nobody else was willing to, or perhaps they're, they're just predisposed personality-wise to maybe think that they've got a little bit more to offer. Um, what does it look like for them to receive? Th- those are really hard conversations sometimes. Um, so those are some of the things that we're just trying to learn as a local church as we just kind of work through this. Mm, that's good stuff. And I feel like you've, uh, uh, we've obviously just scratched the surface of what is contained, um, in, in the book. Uh, and I have a, a list of other questions that, um, man, I'd love to just ask and but I think I need to read the book to find them and I, and I that's what I want to encourage others to do um, so uh, tell us um, those who might be interested in getting the book how can they do it sure um, and then if they read the book and they don't like something how do they contact you yeah. or if they really like something how do they contact <laughs> you or just want to have a discussion about something what's the best way to find you yeah absolutely um, BMH books has the book on their website and so you can just Google BMH Books and purchase it through there. Last I looked, it was on Amazon. Um, and I think Christian Book Distributors had it as well. Um, being the author in that, I don't do anything with that side of things, <laughs> which has just been kind of fun. Um, so those would be probably the three places that jump off the top of my head. Um, it's just a way to get them. And... Um, my church is Waynesboro Grace. Our website's waynesborograce.org, and there is ways to contact me through our website. And so um, if somebody wanted to have further conversation and discussion about it, uh, waynesborograce.org 
And you can find me just on the staff page and send an email. I'll be grateful to have that conversation. So to each is given, congratulations Thanks. Um, on the book and um, more so congratulations on you know, how you have uh, carefully considered how this applies to your people um, and then the impact it's going to make as each gives and receives yeah. appropriately. So thanks for coming on and talking yeah, for a little bit. Thanks for the bit. invitation. And thanks to all of you for listening to the Grace Story podcast today. Music was written and produced by Dr. Wally Brath, Assistant Professor of Worship Arts at Grace College. Thanks to our co-producers, Andrew Palladino and Rick Neer. And if you can do us a huge favor and rate, comment on this podcast wherever you found it from, share it with others, we'd be so grateful. Until next time, live your best Grace Story today.